It's episode number three of Drive On, and today we're going to have a look at the year in review at Speedway Miramichi, and joining me is a, a young man that uh, does a lot with the track, promotions, as well as uh, the official flagman of Speedway Miramichi. You want to say hello to Denver Matches. Hi, Denver. How are you? Hey, John. I'm not bad. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for joining me on uh, Drive On. I wanted to get into some racing, so this is a good way to do it. It's the 2020 season. Who would have ever thought the, the way the year turned out? And really, we didn't expect to be racing at all. No, you're 100% right. And uh, especially you start in the spring when everything first hit with the COVID-19 pandemic. We had no idea what was what to expect, what to ha- what would even happen. And, you know, we were coming off a, a really challenging 2019 season. It, it, you talk about anything that could go wrong. It pretty well went wrong. I, almost every event was affected by weather. Yeah. Um, overall, like things were pretty discouraging. And then this pandemic hit and we really needed to have a good year. But up until later in the spring, it didn't look like there was even going to be any sort of racing this year. Um, but so when you look at looking back the year that it was and, and all the challenges faced this year and all the uncertainty and, and what other parts of Canada and the world had to deal with where they didn't even get to do any outdoor events or sporting events. It's uh, unreal. And the way that, uh, you know, the way things were leading up to it, it we were coming off a, a period that nothing was happening. And in order for anything to happen, uh, it required people of very little groups, very few numbers. And so the first event of 2020 uh, was going to be an event without fans. You're right. Um, it all started with that event way back in April. I mean, up until that point, we had no idea. It was, I think, the 27th of April. It was my last day of exams from school that year, and we didn't know anything. No one knew. All we knew is that mass gatherings at that point had been banned by the province of New Brunswick until the end of the year. And what constituted a mass gathering, that wasn't really detailed. So we had no idea what what would happen. I remember when they came out originally with the phases and all the colored phases, I'm looking through all the phases. I'm talking to Barry like, under the yellow phase, originally it said no more than 50 people. And we should say Barry is... Barry is the track owner, yeah. And... uh Barry Richard and, uh, you know, God bless him. He was probably scratching his head trying to figure out how we're going to get this to work. I remember first messaging him and I'm like, I don't think we can have it with more than 50 people. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, we have to be able to put at least a thousand. And for reference, the grandstands at Speedway Miramichi solely can accommodate 3,500 people. Um, On top of that, we have the side hills. We have on top of the grandstands and the pits. So, you know, he's like, we should be able to get a thousand people. I'm like, I don't think we can. Like, there was no... It just said 50 people in mass gatherings were banned, but really started that night. I finished exams and went straight to work on a plan. Like, how can we make this happen? Uh, kind of selfishly, I, I wanted to see racing myself, but I, you know, for all the drivers, um, you know, who wanted to race, they've been working on their cars from the end of the year, last October up to that point. And we f- worked through and, and we waited it out and went back and forth with them, you know, Maybe we can try 500 fans. And, and then as it became more and more obvious, it didn't seem like anything was going to come of it. So we really were the first ones through the gate to announce anything with, with the plan being 50 people. And what that constituted was the grandstands were closed. No fans could attend. And and the plan was to allow one driver and one crew member per car. 
to try to allow as many drivers uh, to attend as possible. And there was a lot of people kind of said, what's the point? You know, there, there was no prizes. You couldn't afford prizes when you only have 50 people. Yeah. But it, it was all about having fun at a time when, like you said, there really was nothing else going on. And a lot of people, some people kind of took advantage of the pandemic to make sure their cars were prepped and ready. Others kind of uh, let it fall to the wayside, you know, and rightfully yeah. so. No one expected anything to come of it. So all the efforts went into 50 people, staggered divisions, because when you have as many divisions as what we have, you can't, you know, no one wants to go out and run with four or five cars if that's in have So yeah. had to stagger everything. And that way there we could have more people throughout the day. But ultimately it was 50 people at a time, including staff. And so, yeah, so we look back at that. You, so we started, I, and I can't remember the order, but let's just say that it was mini stocks. Yeah. So all the mini stock, and was it a driver and a crew member? So it was supposed to be a driver and a crew member, but the way we worded it, we knew that we probably needed 10 staff. So that's your race director, your flagman, your tech official. And obviously there wasn't going to be a whole lot of tech. It was just yeah. going to make sure safety and try to keep it somewhat fair. But, you know, there was no prizes. It was just for fun. Um, you needed people at the gates. You needed security to ensure that all the COVID stuff was being followed. So we knew we could have roughly 40 people outside of staff. So the way it was it was presented to the drivers is what we're going to do is we're aiming for 20 cars per division, mm -hmm. one driver, one crew member. If coming leading into the days coming up to it, we don't have 20 cars. Say we have 10 cars. Well, we can then double it. You can then bring three crew members with you instead of just the one. Gotcha. So there, there was pre-registration for this, was there? That There was a lot of pre-registration. That was uh, a lot of tracking because you had to keep track of everyone's contact information. Yes. Um, so that was we had to open up pre-registration i think it was probably two weeks before mm -hmm. um and we had a great response initially like I, I was really impressed um particularly with the mini stock and the demo some of the street stock guys were a little hesitant because uh, they said they said they weren't opposed to it and they liked the idea mm -hmm. but uh for a lot of those guys it's a family sport and if you can only bring a couple people with you or, or potentially only one they said they'd wait it out and see if things opened up, they were going to go racing for sure. But in, if things didn't open up, they would eventually try out this format that we had. But it was a really good response. And I think with the demolition, we initially hit the limit for, for cars. Right. And uh, we had to open up pre-registration, track all that. And uh, that, that gets really hectic because we needed every single person. So it's not just the driver, it's the crew member. Yeah. And so we're messaging drivers and their crew members are changing, you know, so-and-so can't make it now or so-and-so can. Exactly. So yeah. it was a lot of, lot to track and you take with three divisions. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Over a hundred people that we're trying to uh, track. And then we did have a case with, with street stock, particularly we didn't hit the uh, 20 cars. I think we were around eight. And so we said like, we can allow a bunch more crew members. So then it's messaging back and forth with the drivers. All right, we can allow you X amount of people for sure do you want anyone yeah and so it, it was very hectic and but in the end it, it did pan out so yeah and so that you know that idea of it but then just the day before the first event the uh, you know the provincial government kind of opened it up they sure did um and they sure caught us off guard in the process i'm pretty sure that was about the hottest day of the year too um 
I woke up that morning and I was getting ready to go out to the track and put final preparations in, make sure we were all systems go for a Saturday. And the government scheduled a press conference for I think it was 1030 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And anyone that's followed the press conferences know that they've always been in the afternoon, 230, 330. So they scheduled one for 1030. And I never thought nothing of it. Um, And then all of a sudden I'm listening. And at that point, I hadn't been listening because I was home and internet issues at exactly but uh i was listening to it and i heard them say uh the gathering limit of 50 is removed effective immediately and i had to go back and listen to it about three times i messaged uh barry and doug match at the race director and like yeah. you know can we actually have people tomorrow <laughs> so then like at that point like it's too late to make any substantial changes because yeah. people especially like the mini stock drivers had planned to be there i think at nine or ten o'clock in the morning because we were trying to run so many divisions spread out um so we couldn't really change anything but and then the phone started blowing up messages <laughs> and are we going to be allowed to come tomorrow now all the fans yeah. all the family members and uh you know i get dressed run to the track and we're sitting there and talking and so we said well why don't put some people in the stands and it ended up being not the nicest of days it was kind of cool and overcast so mm-hmm. it kind of deterred a few people and a lot of people were nervous at the same point because yes in june it, things had literally just opened up at that yeah. point so um but we ended up getting some people come out and watch and everyone was excited to be back and it, it turned out to be a phenomenal day overall mm-hmm. there was some great racing in all classes and some good demo action and yeah it, it all worked out but uh, it, it was kind of crazy that after all that work we did just to open up with 50 people of course it was the day before that yeah that work was all for well not all for nothing but it, you had to scramble at the last you really had to yeah. scramble yeah and you know the idea of uh you know uh blocking off every second row was was great it sure was and you know it's that's the thing like i said capacity in the grandstands is approximately 3500 mm-hmm. so if you cut that in half you can you can put over 1500 people safely and still be physical distancing you know it's uh so we'd, we'd had that in place and you know tried to put arrows for one directional traffic around the facility which wasn't always followed but i mean i'm sure we've all seen that at walmart that not everyone follows the arrows even there and, exactly yeah you know encourage masks it's not mandatory outdoors per se but encourage it especially you know if, if you're waiting in line and maybe it's a little bit closer or, or whatnot and put up sanitizer and everything wherever yeah. it needed it but it's uh really we're at the advantage of being an outdoor venue yes. that it makes things like that so much easier yeah yeah for sure and it uh, really it kind of in a in a weird way the pandemic kind of fell uh in favor of the track because there wasn't much else going on you're 100 correct and i mean by this point, by the time that the government announced the gathering limit was lifted, I believe all the ball leagues, the major ball leagues in the province, had just scrapped their seasons that were yeah. not doing it. And I mean, had they waited, they probably could have had a partial mm-hmm. season, but they scrapped their seasons. All the festivals were, were canceled. Yes. Um, I don't think there was anything. There, I think some of them maybe transitioned to an online um online festival and stuff like that but pretty well nothing was happening yeah uh there was no large gatherings um with the and and really the thing is like the way the rules were worded you couldn't have a large gathering unless it was a business and and to do that you needed a big business plan exactly so you know once 
once we did get going into the season after that first event, which was a huge help because at that that June event, we had no prizes. We had, no, you know, all the staff that day were volunteer. We just wanted to see a race. Yeah, exactly. That was, we, you know, like you said, we had nothing to do all, all spring. Yeah. So we just wanted to get out and do something. And uh, we ended up generating a bit of revenue, which a huge help. You know, some people didn't understand the concept. And, you know, uh, some people, you, I don't know if they ever would. Yeah. But for a business, you know, there was so many businesses shut down during this pandemic, especially mm-hmm. in the springtime. And so many of them didn't survive it. So being able to generate just a little bit of revenue, that's huge. Well, you know, and at the same time, it's, it is, like you said, it's a business. You got to generate some revenue. You got to pay the bills. And the fact that, you know, to put on an event under those restrictions, yeah. to be able to do that is is amazing. And there is added cost. Like you have to have that paint, you have to have the sanitizer, you yes. need all these cleaning supplies. So all that, you know, it, it's, but it was a help. And really what it allowed us to do was, you know, the drivers came out and supported the track in June. So we said, why don't we thank them? Yeah. So in July we said, we're going to, you know, we're going to up the payouts for the demo particularly. And, but, you know, if we hit this amount of cars and it sure paid off because come July, it was, uh, you were there. It, w- it was pretty crazy. I, yeah. I'd never seen a lineup like that to get into a track. Well, and, and okay, so let's, let's you know, move on from the first event and get into the rest of the season. Um, now, the last, let's say the last, what, two to three seasons, yeah. the Dukes division was tried as a as a new house class yeah and just didn't work no Uh, probably because of the similarities between dukes and street stock yeah so then a new class was introduced for 2020 and why don't we talk a bit about that how was that how did that come about so that class was some people may not remember that actually came up way back before the pandemic initially started And, and essentially in principle, was the same idea as what the Dukes class was. It's the with the Dukes class, kind of where it went awry, I would say, is the way those cars ended up being, like you said, there were similarities to a street stock. And, you know, when you see some people saying, sharing one of the premier street stock cars in, in the Maritimes and saying this would make a good Dukes car, yeah. you know, that there's something that, you know, that should be sounding alarm bells. Yes. Um, but you know, in in theory, it's a, we needed a cheap class. Essentially, take a demo car and put a roll cage in it, mm-hmm. spice up the safety, make it safe, and go racing. Yeah, and that's essentially what the bomber class uh, worked out to be. Same thing, but instead instead of using you know looking for those big old boats that are getting harder to find because right. so many of them have been demoed over the years. Exactly, it, it transitioned to what is available now. And it I've said before, a lot of people make references to the old days of the track back yes. throughout history. Yeah. You know, we did this in 1985. We did this in 1992. Well, ultimately that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You know, we need solutions for 2020, not solutions for 1992. Yeah. And this bomber class was exactly that. You take your, your V6 cars, your uh, Pontiac Grand Prix, your, uh, what else did we have? The, all the Nissans and yes. all that. And it, basically put the roll cage in them and, and go racing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, the idea behind this, I think Doug drafted the initial rules in March. Doug Matchett. Doug Matchett. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a meeting scheduled and then the pandemic hit and everything just kind of got lost. Yeah. You know, And then we're planning the event for June and, and there was no cars built. 
so it was this thing's probably not going to happen but it was the first one to really push it was kevin tucker and he you know kevin tucker has been doing demos since before i was born Mm. he had won a bunch without a doubt anyone that follows the demos would recognize that name instantly right and in 2019 he won his first demolition championship after over two decades but after two decades it takes a toll on your body so he was one of the first ones that said i want to get into racing yeah i don't want to have to be Built, building a new car for every event. I don't want to be sore for a week afterwards. I want to just have the same car yep. and go race it. And if yep. I want to demo it at the end of the year, it's no big deal. So he he really pushed for it. And you know we didn't have enough time to make it happen in June. But uh, for July, it really started... He started building a car or two, I think, and had a couple other people interested. And uh, I know Jonathan Dixon, who had a, built a Duke's car. Yes. And ended up having to sell it because the class wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Jonathan messaged me probably a week and a half before the second race, which was in July, and said, do you think this bomber class is going to go anywhere? He said, I- I'm thinking mm-hmm. about building one, but I-, I went through a bad experience <clears throat> where I built a Duke's car that I had to sell. Yeah, I- Is it going to be worth it? And I was even honestly skeptical at first because I had seen the Duke's class failed twice and they had tried, I think a run what you brung class and it went nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over (laughs) and expecting a different result. But this time it it was a a more modern solution. Those cars were available, easier to get. And, uh, I think the first day we had seven cars Yes. when we finally did get it going and already, more than doubled what the dukes were yeah in two years i don't we never had more than three dukes cars yeah never so and like you said it already doubled it and it made for a, a great show they put on mm-hmm. a phenomenal race and i mean even that first day some of them had just barely got their cars ready like i think they painted them the morning of yeah but it was a great show and it was a great start for the class and with that day too the stands were full, like we had said. We had to turn people away. It was yes. a full to the COVID capacity. Exactly. Um, first ever sellout, mind you. It's because of COVID capacity. Yeah. But you have all those fans watching this class, and, and a lot of the names were recognizable, like your Kevin Tucker, Jonathan Dixon, exactly. Riley Harris, Adam Plord. So that really it spearheaded it, and and instantly it's like next race we're going to have ten cars. Yeah. And it just took off from there. And it it, it really it did because uh, I think by the time that uh, the season came to an end, we, we had like uh, almost 20 cars uh, running at, at the end of the season, which was tremendous. It was pretty close to 20, I would say. And it, it sure was tremendous. With this bomber class, I almost in a way liken it to what the sportsman class was in the 80s. When, mm-hmm. when the Speedway really first became popular yeah um you know and obviously and i'm not saying the cars are even close because they're not like yeah but in principle what you have is a, a car that's you know you can build it in a week you know i some of the best stories are when some of the old guys that worked at the mill built sportsman cars during the strike exactly you can build a bomber car in that short amount of time yeah. and it's really all local drivers yeah. your hometown heroes your weekend warriors yeah that are pushing this class and they're of all ages we have kids as young as 16 i think there's people you know pushing 60 in the class so and that's what this track has needed for so long we haven't had a house class with 20 
cars in it yeah. since the mid 90s when the sportsman class went downhill. Yeah. And that's huge to have a house class with that many cars. Mm-hmm. It's it's been a long time coming and it's huge for the track. And you know that when you have that class and you have those guys in it, that's eventually going to feed up into your street stocks, Absolutely. your modifieds. And it's really an exciting time. And, you know, we said probably finish the year around 20 we're told that we might be starting the year off in 2021 with 30. Nice. So then you're looking at a B feature. Exactly. That hasn't happened (laughs) at any track in Atlantic Canada outside of your IWK 250 in at least 10, 20 years. At least. So it's, it's exciting and and especially at the miramichi track you know they they used to do that in the in the 80s yep um so yeah that's that's exciting to look forward to for 2021 absolutely like this is a must-see class like i said it's your hometown heroes it's all good old boys and girls Mm -hmm. they just want to race and have fun and they put on a like a great show those that last bomber race in october had so many twists and turns you had jonathan dixon doing the (laughs) he drives the dale earnhardt's paint scheme on his car and he he attempted the pass in the grass and (laughs) didn't quite work out and then on the last lap you had jacob smith he had a tire going down i think and he sent it into uh turn three and i I almost likened to uh the move carl edwards made on jimmy johnson that time last lap yeah last turn just a full send that it didn't quite pan out for either of them, but just incredible action. Like that's that's what racing is missing. Is yes. that fun? And it it was really good racing. You're right. I think it was the fall shootout race. Yeah. You had Mark Kingston start in the front row, and you had Timmy Blakely somewhere started about like fifth or sixth and worked his way up. Mm-hmm. They ran side by side for I know 15 laps of that 30 lap race, and they would have kept going, but there was a lap car get in the way yeah and then timmy had his uh rad hose i think let go yeah. but you don't see side by side racing like that for 15 laps <laughs> no. anywhere now no and no. it was just phenomenal and then timmy in october we we did the pole shuffle he got sent to the back yeah. after having the pole and uh came through the field to win like just so many great moments from this bomber class in just one year that we're going to be talking about for a long time yeah it's going to be uh, going to be a great uh, division to watch uh, in the new season. Um, let's talk about um, you know some of the uh, other divisions, um, mini stocks. You know, a few new drivers this year and returning drivers uh, and local drivers too. Absolutely, um, the mini stock class has always well not always but in recent years been dominated by guys from out of town mike weagle had his period of dominance i believe around 2015 to 2017 the last three years has really been jr lawson's class particularly in miramichi like he he loves the track he loves coming up he's from shubanakity he's looking at a three to four hour drive he's originally from moncton so he he makes sure everyone knows (laughs) that he is a new brunswick boy yeah but he he hauls up and rarely misses a race he did miss two this year one was because the border was shut down yes and the other was our fall race um the halloween spooktacular event where it was uh announced last minute he was scheduled to work yeah but he's got a, a winning streak in his last i think 12 starts he's undefeated in feature racing but you look this year at some of the guys that were starting to challenge uh particularly matthew malay yes from i believe he's from trackety ish area I down forget, there yeah yeah and 
he gave, especially the September race, we put the bounty on J.R. Lawson. I think it was 300 bucks if anyone could beat him. Yeah. And Matthew gave him a run for his money. He never got, J.R. never got more than three or four car lengths away from him. And it was an 81 lap race. Yeah. And it really made it interesting watching him just, you know, follow him every lap. Yeah. Just waiting. If J.R. had made a mistake, he would have got him. Yeah. And he, Matthew was, uh, I think, on the podium you know, six out of seven races this year. He had a strong, strong season. It was, you could see it coming. He would yeah. win the odd heat race, score yeah. the odd podium the last couple of years. But this year he, he turned up the wick and oh yeah, I was talking to him a few weeks ago, actually, when we were, he was picking up his calendar that he ordered and mm-hmm. he said, you know, every year he focuses on something else. So you know, one year, maybe he put some money into the motor to make the motor run good. And then the next year he focused on the suspension. And, and that's what a lot of people lose sight of is it doesn't happen overnight that you're going to show up with a car capable of winning. Exactly. And he really is the definition of a racer who is working on his stuff, doing what he can, and making his stuff a little better every year and improving his skill level a little bit more every year. And if he improves any more in 2021, he's going to be in victory lane. Oh, big time. Yeah, for sure. Um and, you know, you mentioned J.R. Lawson, uh, his, uh, I guess, significant other, uh, Chantel Ackles, uh, third in points this year. She uh, she really performed well when she came to the track. She sure did. I believe it was the July feature. Um, she dominated that race and led, I want to say, 25 laps of that race and almost beat J.R. And I, th- I forget, I think her uh, handling or her engine started to lose a little power in the closing laps. JR got around her and beat her, but she, another driver was on the podium pretty well. Every time she showed up mm-hmm. probably could have had second in points, but had a uh, bit of an issue at the fall race. And she was running second at the time and dropped back and finished like 15th. So that was unfortunate, but another strong runner, um, both JR and Chantel are always yeah. threats to win everywhere they go. You know, I'm, uh, just looking at the top five in points and uh, a guy that just lives, uh, up the road from here, uh, Mitchell Poirier, uh, good, uh, fourth place run in the points. Uh, he, he, you could see him improve every race out on the track. Absolutely. That's another driver improving. And, uh, you know, he's probably about a year behind Matthew in the 80 car, but he's, going to get there and it could be 2021 he has knocked on the door multiple times of a podium run just been right there hammering you know he started out the first year in he started in 2018 just built a car in a a three-week span and you know didn't quite have the power and he was learning how to drive it built a new car for 2019 and spent all year you know getting some bugs worked out and you could see coming on the end of 2019 his performance improve and he showed up in 2020 and really challenged every week um especially in the early going he'd be right there you know maybe he couldn't get around jr or chantelle or matthew but if he started in front of them he would hold them off for five ten laps and yeah. they had to work hard and you know big things are coming for mitchell he's he's yeah. gonna win races too it's uh, only a matter of time absolutely and uh, you got to give a tip of the hat to uh i guess it'd be rookie of the year in the mini stocks uh, conrad murphy from sunny corner uh fifth in points and uh great rookie season this is a driver that we're going to hear a lot of over the years at speedway miramichi he's only 18 or 19 i think yeah. um and he he's got some good help he, he's Got Ashton Tucker helping yeah. him out some. He's going to eventually move up. He's going to win a lot of races. That, you know, we talk about 
young talent. And Conrad Murphy is one of those drivers that before long will be winning races. And fifth place in points uh, was a great, great year for him. Rookie of the year. I know that was his goal was rookie of the year. And he actually almost hit the podium at the uh, September race, the 81 lap race. You know, some drivers hit some mechanical issues. And at one point in the race, he was, I believe, scored in third place. So that would have been huge. If oh, he yeah pulled that off but even still i think he still had a top five run which that for a rookie that's that's impressive yeah no he's he, 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 and you could see it with him as well every you know every race out on the track he just uh, improved uh, a little bit all the time so uh, you know and that's and that's the key like you get these young fellows in uh and that i think that's the key for any racetrack local drivers bring the people, you know, bring their family, their friends with them in the stands. And uh, so, you know, it's great to see some local drivers in there as well. Um, street stocks, my goodness, uh, Briar Ellis, what a season for him. That was phenomenal. And, you know, I've been talking about Briar Ellis for a while now. He caught my eye in, in 2017. So to back up with Briar's career, you know, he's a second generation driver. His yeah. father you know run street stock won some races moved up to sportsman never really competed much full-time i don't think he was never in a championship hunt Mm -hmm. um but when blue mountain speedway opened up up in bathurst which is they're from the bathurst area he ran more up there um but briar jumped into a bandolero and ran some races uh, probably around 2011 2012 ish he would have been probably 10 to 12 years old okay and uh you know we were actually talking you know he said he never actually got to race his bandolero in miramichi he, you know, Jason would run one or two a year yeah. when Jason Carnahan first reopened the track in 2012. But the one time Briar showed up with the Bando and they had a deal. One race, his father ran the Sportsman. The next Briar ran the Bando. The race he was running the Bando, they showed up and blew the motor. Oh. And so they loaded up and went home and got his father's car. Yeah. Um, and then he took a bit of time off and in 2016 came back in the street stock. And when we did that first 100 lap event in 2017, mm-hmm. He held off some strong competition and he ran in the top 10 the majority of the first 25 laps. Um, and then his brakes failed, yeah. which put him out of that race. But he caught my eye right there. I'm like, yeah. this kid can wheel a car. Um, took a year off in 2018, but came back in 2019 with a, a new car, which was actually the former street stock of Nathan Dean, who won a bunch of street stock races in Miramichi. Yes. Um, and instantly was right back where he left off. You wouldn't know that he was, first of all, like 18 years old. Yeah. Second of yeah. all, you wouldn't know that he had been out of a car for almost two years at that point. Yeah. He won his heat race for the to get the provisional pole for the 2019 Street Stock 100. And then he ran top five again, all race. And yeah. this time he hung on to it. And he was the top finishing northern New Brunswick driver and beat some heavy competition. And he carried that momentum into 2020 started off almost winning his first feature at our June race with, uh, you know, he got out in front and dominated uh, before Chris Wilson caught up (laughs) to him and just all season was consistent, you know, top threes a couple times, top fives and really hammered home, sealed the deal with another incredible performance in the street stock. 100 won the heat race, had the provisional pole for the second year in a row and uh, finished fourth. Like, you know, it, it, 
he may maybe didn't win the feature this year that he was probably hoping to win, mm-hmm. but nothing to be ashamed of, and no. a lot of big things to come for that kid. Oh yeah, and you know, like he's he's not only racing here; he's racing over at six sixty. Uh, I'm not sure if he ran a petty or not this year, but you know, he's he's gaining experience, and he's in addition to his father, I believe he's got uh, former sportsman champion uh, Kirk Jardine helping him. He sure does. He yeah. has some good help. Yeah, and uh, you know. You look at the Bathurst area, and there's been a lot of good drivers coming to that area over the years. But the last couple years, they lost their track. Miramichi wasn't running a whole lot. You know, a lot of people from that area maybe kind of got out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Briar is really a catalyst for the next generation from Bathurst. Yeah, I'm telling you, on Facebook, on the Speedway Miramichi Facebook page, we we do a champion salute, and we you know we make a post and then a video about all the champions, mm-hmm. and. His uh, reach on his posts far exceeded anyone else. And I know when Tim did the year-end salute in October, we did that year-end season show um, on Facebook Live. Right. He was announcing the guests, and we had Briar as one of them. And the posts about Briar reached more people than the posts about Ash and Tucker. Mm-hmm. So he is building a huge fan base yeah. in the Bathurst area. And yeah. it's really going to be, you know, Ash and Tucker maybe is the face of stock car racing for the, this generation, the young generation in Miramichi, but Briar Ellis is going to be that face for Bathurst, and hopefully that can entice a bunch of drivers from the Bathurst area to hop in, you know, inside a car and give it a try. Yeah, and the, and like that's what happened back in the uh, in the mid-80s after Danny Speedbowl closed down. A lot of those drivers came down to uh, the track here and uh you know it was always great uh, competition and uh and it also led into some great competition from the drivers from river glade coming up and and uh, so yeah hopefully that can uh, you know carry over from uh from that area uh darcy o'neill uh, new car this year uh second in points uh he just uh, held off robert legier who uh he had his um duke's car from last year and made the upgrades to uh, go to street stock racing so uh, a couple of local area guys doing well there definitely you know i think for darcy i know darcy wanted the championship but uh, the car just wouldn't handle to his liking he entered the october race with the points lead um but just the car wasn't handling right and, and briar had his car on rails that yeah. day, which yeah. ultimately was the difference maker. But, you know, for 2020, it was a tough year for Darcy in, in ways. A, a new car, sometimes it works out well. Sometimes you have a bunch of glitches. Yeah. And that was the case for Darcy. You know, in, in July, the first race with the car, he had an issue and ended up not finishing the feature. In August, he led a bunch of laps. And I some same thing. I don't know if it was an overheating issue or maybe a tire issue. But running second in the closing laps, head to pit and give up that finish so it was just really a lot of tough luck um but if you look back 2018 2019 when we head the dukes division darcy o'neill and robert legier were, were the two drivers in it and in both years robert got the upper hand on darcy when championship so even though darcy didn't get the street stock championship in 2020 i, I guess you could say he kind of got a bit of redemption <laughs> as he edged out robert um for second in points but yeah i mean robert i will say uh, I was very impressed with the way he improved this year. Like like you said, that was a Dukes car. That was yeah. the same car he won the Dukes championship with, moved up to street stock with it, and kind of battled a little bit to get, you know, he said he was underpowered for part of the year and struggling some with it, mm-hmm. um, but still had some some solid performances. And yeah. I mean, we're talking Robert Legier. He's a five-time track champion. Yeah. He, he's probably one of the greatest, you know, 
he never ran sportsman, but in terms of the demolition side of things, one of the greatest to ever run. And, uh, you know, as the year progressed, he turned up the wick and, and in the October 100 lap race, he, he posted, I think, a seventh place performance in a 15 car field um, and beat some tough competition, beat the Justin Coles and the Riley Goodwins and the Darcy O'Neill. So, yeah. you know, it was a great ending to the season for, for Robert to come away and with a third place run in points after uh, after that last race. Uh, another guy, another local guy that, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, nice. It's it's nice to see that he finished fourth in points. Uh, Jamie Jardine from here in Nap, and uh, he actually just one point behind Robert Legier. Uh, started off the year with a very ill-handling car, uh, but just seemed to, uh, you know, uh, just bide his time, and, and he had a good, solid year. Yeah, Jamie has been improving a lot since he first started, and that can be one of the toughest things is if you have an ill-handling car to make it work, and I believe the quote you used, John, at the uh, during the broadcast in June was it was plowing like a Department of Transportation dump truck, <laughs> and it sure was. You don't see very often from my vantage point in the flag stand when a car is coming off a of turn four yeah. and the tires are cut left towards the infield in turn two and the car is pointing straight into the grandstands yeah, yeah it's and tough it, it's a handful to deal with but he uh, he improved that car and improved mm-hmm. his abilities and he he earned a big podium run in yeah. august and that was huge for you know not only him and his confidence but you know that was big he uh, really earned that run and that was a tough field that day like there was a lot of good cars and yeah. to come away with third was huge and and then the 100 lapper after uh, the the pole shuffle which is i'm sure it's everyone's <laughs> favorite jamie actually ended up starting on the pole and he led a couple laps yeah. early on in that race which again to uh you know, to lead laps in a big race is always a big deal. Oh, for sure, for sure. And a guy that split his time between a street stock and a modified, Chris Wilson, uh, coming home fifth in the points. Uh, you know, he had uh, he had a win this season, and uh, uh, you know, good good strong year in, in two different divisions. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Chris probably could have challenged for the championship if he had a focus solely on his street stock. He was leading the points after his, like the start to the year he had in the street stock was on the track. It was great. He, he won the double features in June and then held off Michael Cormier in July mm-hmm. and had the points lead. But you know, when you have two cars, it's you know, hard to choose which one to run. And he had only, uh, I think he said he only ran as modified once in Miramichi before. So he said, I, I want to run the modified in Miramichi and ran that, but still overall, uh, he, in in the street stock races, he did run three wins, which mm-hmm. uh, I mean, counting the June one, so that's 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 pretty good to have three wins and sealed up a top five run in October too. So uh, a good year for Chris, and I, I'm not sure what his plans will be for 2021. If he'll, uh, I think he wants to run the modified, and, and you, we'll probably talk about that later yes. and all the tough competition. But uh, you know, he he's really grown into. Uh, one of the top contenders in the street stock class in Miramichi. And it's good to see we have very healthy competition. You you know, Briar Ellis and Robert Legier, Darcy O'Neill, Chris Wilson, yeah. uh, James Matchett, Jared Tozer, like any given night, Jamie Jardine, they're all challenging hard for the wins. And it's great to see. Oh, for sure. Uh, you mentioned uh, James Matchett uh, coming uh, runner up to uh, Logan Power for the uh, very best fall shootout uh, 100. Um, remind me, who finished third? It was Dan Smith from Halifax. He in the uh, in the little S10 truck. Uh, that was a, that was a good race. That was an excellent race, and honestly, I think you know 
we've had that was the fourth running of our street stock 100 and we really had four different races mm-hmm. um 2017 probably will never be topped with the way that whole race panned out with 25 cars it was phenomenal and yeah. I, and really for someone like me that was the first time i had seen 20 some cars on the track yeah um 2018 was the year that we got marred by by a rain delay and yeah. that kind of you know dampened things and then by the time it was such a cool day the track lost all its all the all the uh, rubber built up and uh, we ended up running that race at night and it was really cool and it was a lot of drivers fought issues with the cars that night there was a bunch of different parts failures and luke mclaughlin dominated that one um 2019 was a phenomenal race from second on back it was a lot of hard hard battles but justin cole had the field covered yeah this was really the first year that we saw a battle for the lead over the entire race and it's not very often in a hundred lap race that you get to see a battle for the lead as the leaders are working through lap traffic yeah but james matchett put the pressure to logan power he got up underneath him a couple times and we had a couple early cautions but i think we went like 55 laps green to the end and those final 55 laps james was on his bumper underneath him trying everything he could and I think in about the final 10 to 12 laps, he said he had a rotor sticking or something like that. And uh, that just didn't take him out of contention, but it allowed Logan to drive away and yeah. seal the deal with an impressive win. Because it doesn't take much to, um, you know, like just to throw off. Like if you can't roll in you know, into the corners or come off the corners because something's sticking, you know, it's if you're not, uh, what do they say, rolling free, uh, then that's going to hurt you. This year's race was really interesting, too, because it was really the first first year that almost everybody struggled with the handling on their car maybe outside of logan and james you don't see justin cole and riley goodwin going down multiple laps very often no and sean Hyslop was second last year and he was barely on the lead lap at the end and darcy o'neill was another one we mentioned he struggled that day a lot of good cars fought so many issues it really made for an unusual race a lot of the people that were expected to be challenging were down laps It, it it was a really unique race, but it was an awesome, clean race. Yeah. We're going to take a break from our chat with Denver Matchett. He is the flagman at Speedway Miramichi, as well as he looks after PR, the website, and a lot of the promotional information that gets out to the fans for Speedway Miramichi. And Drive On Podcast, you can check it out on our Facebook page. Just search for Drive On Media. Subscribe to our podcast through Spotify and Google Podcasts, and we're working on getting it on Apple Podcasts as well. You can also check it out online at driveon.podbean.com. The second half of our chat with Denver Matchett in the next episode. 